This is Dylan. This is Nick. And you're listening to I feel like we need a good freestyle rap. We haven't had one of those in a while. It's all you, man. All right. Good. Here we what go. are you going to freestyle? Actually, <laughs> that's not the right question. What are you going to freestyle, right? Because freestyle is just you just do it. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. First of all, I need a beat. We, we don't got anybody else except you in the room. See, so We're all Christians. So we <laughs> hatred in our vision. We're just kids going through life. That's not freestyle. That's, that's not freestyle at all. That's copying. It is. Copycat. Never don't mind. sue us, surfaces. That's right. But if you want to sponsor us, that'd be cool. <laughs> I'm this sure podcast be- <laughs> is brought to you by Surfaces. Be surprised if they like send us a beach trip or something. <laughs> that they would. Cool, that would great. be what they would do. Would Unsurprising. Be a beach trip. Yeah. Pacifico. A beach trip and a guitar with a sent us in the mail. By the way, listeners who don't, I don't know if listeners are listening at this point, if we're going to put mm-hmm. this on the podcast, but if you're listening and you haven't listened to Surfaces, turn us off right now. Go listen to Surfaces. <laughs> And then come back. And don't come back. Oh, come back. <laughs> come back and listen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I think if you if you know the band Surfaces, you will understand Nick and I a lot better. Is that, <laughs> is, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> All I want to do like, is just chill on the beach. Yeah. Hang basically, out. Basically. Yeah. Live our life. Yeah. <laughs> just explain just gotta to live us. your life. Live your life, man. <laughs> Let's do this thing. I'm excited for this topic. But before we get to this topic. We um, have to update our listeners, and we got some new things going on. We got we're a real podcast now, aren't we? We are a real podcast now. We got the Patreon. We got the uh, website. Mm-hmm. We got what else? Oh, we're posting on Instagram now. Yep. Nick figured out the secret to Instagram. <laughs> we're geezers yeah. here. We're like seventy year olds trying to work Instagram, but we we did some consulting of people who actually use Instagram, and uh, apparently, reels are the way to go. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we did get like 3,500 views in our first reel, which is kind of wild. I, I think that's good. I don't know if that's actually Maybe good. Maybe it's not, but, but it, literally, yeah. listeners, when Nick texted me the morning of and said, hey, we got 35,000 views on my video, I was like, Just quit messing with me, man. Yeah. Like, no, we didn't. <laughs> we didn't get 35,000. We got 3,500. 3, yeah. so even then, I did. I literally did not believe you. Yeah. It was absurd, but apparently we did, so... We're we're gonna be we're gonna be doing more stuff like that. You can uh, help us out on Patreon. We got some some merch available through that. Um, we're really excited about when this mug comes in. I'm gonna share it with all of you because our, our logo from its inception was like designed to be on a mug, mm-hmm. and we've got the mug, and I am super stoked about it. So stay tuned for that. You can also uh, get the mug yourself if you support us. I think at ten dollar, the ten dollar tier. That's right. Um, you will get a mug yourself, uh, but we're also going to look into other ways of making those mugs available as well. So exciting stuff! Great. You know what else is exciting? What's that, Mary? Excellent segue to this time. Thank you. No problem. You can do that with every topic, though. <laughs> That's right. You know what else is exciting? You know what's next? That's it. Was a good segue one. Okay. You know what else we could talk about? Yeah. Segways are interesting. Yes, they are. Here's a segue. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about Mary, which is great. Sweet mother Mary. Mm. Who is Mary? Who is Mary? I put your name first. It's your turn. Oh, I got to answer who's Mary. Okay. We all know who Mary is. Mary is the mother of Jesus and by transitive property, the mother of God, Mary, mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. 
kind of caveat, like side note, Jesus, humanity, and divinity are perfectly united in the hypostatic union. Therefore, Mary is the mother of God. Amen. That's wild, by the way. Hopefully yeah. we'll discuss that yeah, a little yeah, more. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. What, what are you, who's married to you? Yeah, I heard this once from uh, Father Donald Calloway. He's a, um, a missionary of, I think it's of the Immaculate Conception. Sounds in, right. Yeah, in Massachusetts. Mike. Yeah, yeah, MIC. Um, seems like an amazing man. But uh, in the talk, he talked about Mary as being, um, as, you know, a product of the Trinity. The Trinity created her, God. She is, um, you know, the Trinity got to create in Mary. Um, the Father got to create his ideal daughter, mm. the son got to create his ideal mother, and the Holy Spirit got to create his ideal spouse, uh, mm. and that is Mary. Interesting. I thought that was so powerful, uh, and that's something I never thought about before, so take that with what you will. Yeah, that's that's a good introduction, I think. So let me ask you this, Nick. What Have you always had devotion to Mary? Um, if not, do you remember a point in which you kind of grew in devotion to Mary? What's what's that kind of process looked like for you? Um, the first question answer is no. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't really had a devotion to Mary growing up really at all. Uh, it was just a, you know, a semi-relationship with God, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Mary wasn't really um, a thing in our family life um, mm-hmm. very much. I, I didn't, I don't think, um, at least not from what I remember. I would say in college and really during my time in focus is when um, I started to develop a little bit of a devotion to Mary, specifically through the rosary. Um, in focus, we were obligated every day to play a, pray a rosary is one of were our we? requirements. Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Oops. I think it was one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard that. I don't think I did it every day. Sorry, focus. Oh, dang. That's messed Sorry, up. Sorry, Mary. Um, but yeah, at least that's what I thought, and that was kind of what our uh, what our focus team did. Well, here's the thing. For me, it was like, because I remember they never, I don't remember ever hearing at training you're supposed to do this, but then my teammates would be like, oh, have you prayed your rosary yet? I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, you're supposed, supposed, we're supposed to pray rosary every day. So it was like this, it seemed like this kind of, excuse me, like this secondary, like implicit obligation, but it wasn't as mm-hmm. core as like the holy hour mass or anything like that, but. Sure. Yeah, we had to do it. I failed. Okay. Right. There we go. Yep. Secrets out. No, but uh, Mary, I think, became um, really important part of my prayer life, I think, um, uh, in focus. And I've had some of the most powerful prayer experiences that I've ever had praying the rosary. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah, I would say during yeah. my time in focus, it became yeah, the, part of my life. The rosary is a beautiful prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's similar. I... You know, it's funny, I, I had a conversion, a big conversion in high school, kind of towards the beginning of high school, where I really started taking my faith seriously. But when I first started my, taking my faith seriously, I kind of had, I don't know how to say it other than just to say, like, I had some, like, very Protestant leanings. I just initially, when I dove deep into relationship with the Lord, I, like, I saw some of the Catholic things as just unnecessary um, and really, I, I listened to like Christian radio, um, like Way FM, and it was all you know, it was all Protestants on there, and so I just, I really identified with just kind of like their approach to things. And then over time, as I grew in my faith, it was almost like I became more and more Catholic. Um, and so Marian devotion, I think, is something that grew with time for me, certainly. Um, and I think even having had devotion to Mary, you know, by the time I was in college, growing a lot in it, 
and learning that I still had some misconceptions about Mary, um, kind of coming from that early kind of not Protestant days, but just kind of, um, the early hesitancy I had towards some of those things. So, um, it's definitely something I've grown in. I think we'll get more into some of what those things are, but, um, I don't know. I think that's probably pretty common too, for people to have to grow in Marian devotion. It's not something that you just, you know, it's, it's immediately becomes natural to you necessarily. I totally agree. And I think there's a sense in which as I've sort of moved along in my spiritual journey, that a desire to have a relationship with Mary has grown also. Yeah, as I've kind of pursued a relationship with the Lord, mm-hmm. it's just been kind of a natural progression. So that what you said there about how um, you became more Catholic in your practices as you started mm-hmm. growing in the spiritual life, I think is very true for me yeah. too in terms of my relationship with Mary. So um, yeah, agree. Yeah. So uh, this next question is yours, um, and I I kind of hesitate to ask it, <laughs> but because uh, we know it's not, it's kind of a misleading question. Um, but why do you, why the heck? This is, this is Nick's words. Why the heck do Catholics worship Mary? I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> no, do, we, just do we worship Mary? I guess that's probably the better question. <laughs> that is the better question, yeah. I, I framed it in the uh, uh, in light of how Catholics yeah. are normally asked. Uh, why, right, do, yeah. why do Catholics worship Mary? Yeah, have you been asked that? I have. Yeah, it's going to a Protestant university is all the time. It's just like... You t- you're told when you go to Catholic school growing up, it's like, yeah, the people out there, they, there's Protestants, they, uh, they're going to ask you this, and then you go off into the real world. It's like, whoa, they do. Right. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess um, the way that I've, I've heard it phrased, and we've we got to turn to Bishop Barron here, but uh, he, he likes to, to talk about the key word in this question, which is worship, mm-hmm. and how that word has old English roots. Um, Really, what it means is worship. Mm-hmm. What do you hold to be of highest worth? Uh, which, in the Catholics, in, in the Catholic mindset, and in just in the Christian mindset as a whole, is clearly not Mary. Yeah. What we hold to be of highest right. worth. So, I, I think it's important to understand, like when a Protestant comes up or someone comes up and asks a Catholic, "Hey, why do you worship Mary?" The answer is you don't. But really, we don't. But really, we need to first ask what you mean by worship. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What does that word mean to you? Yeah, and I know there's so there's two words that kind of get used a lot in this conversation, at least amongst theologians, but dulia and hyperdulia. Have you heard those? I have, yeah, yeah. from you actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, so dulia, like you'll find these words in talking about, you know, in worship and, and, and honor that we give to God or just are used in religion in general, right? And so dulia is, is just, it's reverence, honor, and then hyperdulia is kind of a, a greater sense. So, just to recognize it, like like you said, with the worship, right? The it's all about a hi- hierarchy, right? There are certain things that hold the highest place, and God is the highest place. And then there's, you know, you you hold certain people in higher esteem than others, right? And so um, Mary is very high up along that, but we would not put her in the place that only God belongs because that would be idolatry. The other thing that really helped me with this is when you look at. Um, Religion, ancient religion, you look at the development of Christianity. Um, the idea of sacrifice is always um, uh, prominent. It's always prominent in ancient religion. And um, one of the things you find is that you sacrifice to God, right? You wouldn't sacrifice to a human being unless you thought he were a God. And when you look at Christianity and the Christian tradition, 
in the earliest days. What is our sacrifice? Well, it's the Mass, right? And the sacrifice in the Mass is the presentation of Christ's sacrifice that he made once and for all for us, right? So when we think about sacrifice, we would only, we participate in that. We sacrifice. We make sacrifices. We join them to Christ's sacrifice. Yeah. But we do that to God. We would never do that to Mary. And so that's a distinction I like to draw is that worship truly involves sacrifice. Um, and that is something we always reserve for God alone. So no matter how much we honor Mary, we would never think about sacrificing to Mary. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to address this a little bit later on in the podcast, I think, because I wonder if there are things that we can do as Catholics in our disposition towards Mary that can help Protestants kind of understand better. Um, Like, you know, we have, as an example, we have a a beautiful uh, shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe in Huntsville at uh, St. Joseph's Catholic Church. Um, It's a statue. um, And... Uh, it's beautiful. I love praying. It's one of my favorite places to pray in Huntsville. And um, a lot of times, you know, people will, um, I'm hinting at a question we're going to ask later, but a lot of people will, you know, go there and like kneel yeah. before the statue. And yeah. sometimes people will bring flowers in and like place it before the statue of Mary. And so as a Protestant, I could kind of understand why looking right. at those yeah. kinds of things, why it seems like we might worship yeah. Mary, you know? So I'm just kind of wondering mm-hmm. if there are things that we can do as Catholics to help yeah. outsiders understand better. Uh or if that's even our responsibility. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I hope that we can kind of answer that through the course of this podcast. I think one thing that comes to mind is kind of like one of the cliche things. You go to like an RCIA, that's the um, you know rite of Christian initiation. It's the process of learning about the Catholic faith before becoming Catholic. One of the things you always hear said, and it's about the saints in general, right? Oh, we don't pray to the saints. We ask the saints to pray for us. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely true, right? And I think that's one of the most helpful things is is just making clear what it is we're actually doing um, and that there is a difference. When we, quote unquote, pray to saints or pray to Mary, it is different than mm-hmm. when we are praying to God. We are not treating them like right. they're God in that moment. Um, and so I, I think that's one helpful thing. Um, but you're right. Yeah, there are some practices that um, if you don't understand maybe the heart and the intention behind it and all the reasons for it, yeah, it might seem idolatrous. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's not a bad point. Something to think about. Yeah. yeah. So maybe let's cover our bases um, and just talk about, yeah, so what, um, I don't know, where do, I don't know where I want to go. Do we want to talk about the dogmas, the main, like, and just touch base on, on the doctrines or do we want to... Yeah, kind of address some of these more false questions first, or yeah, that, that's that sounds good. Um, I I think yeah, maybe maybe we could save the false devotions till later on and, okay. and touch on the kind of the major points of Mary. Okay. All right. So, what do Catholics believe about Mary? That's that's what we want to get. All right. So, I think there's there's four main um, kind of controversial Marian doctrines. The first of which is the Immaculate Conception. Indeed. What's the Immaculate Conception? Um. <laughs> that is, uh, Jesus was born, uh, no, I'm kidding, all right. Uh, that is no. a communist conception, <laughs> know, right? yeah. A lot of people think it's, it's the conceiving of Jesus. Yeah, that's why I went for it, yeah. Uh, so we believe as Catholics that um, Mary was conceived immaculately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> without, without, without the stain of original sin, right? Sin, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and she was um, saved from the stain of original sin at conception. So um, yeah. that would be the summary. 
Yeah, free no, that's library. accurate. Yeah, I think one of the things I like to do, I, I like to show where the scripture, scriptural basis for these things are. So you're going to have to, I told you before the show, Nick, but you're going to have to keep me from going into teacher yep, mode because sure. I love teaching about these things. Yeah. But um, I think there's really good evidence for the Immaculate Conception, or at least for um, some form of Mary being without sin um, in scripture. So the kind of first big thing, um, really the main thing here, is how the angel addresses Mary uh, at the Annunciation. And he says, you know, it's commonly translated, hail full of grace. In the Hail Mary, we say hail Mary full of grace. In scripture, it actually just says hail full of grace. Mary's name isn't used. This this word or this title, this phrase, this title, full of grace. It's a title to address Mary, right? Okay. Yeah, and, and the title actually, when you look at the Greek word, Greek word is a very fun Greek word. It's kakeratomene. Say that 10 times fast. Kakeratomene. Sounds and like a carrot. It does, <laughs> but it doesn't mean carrot. <laughs> okay. It means essentially it would be like the one who has been filled with grace. So it's got this, like, it's like this past participle. She has already been filled with a special grace. And if you're filled with grace, then there's no more room for grace. And if there's sin, then there would be more room for grace. So it seems in the angel's greeting that one, he's greeting her with this special title, and two, this title indicates that she's already been filled with some special grace. Hmm. Um, and I think when you yeah when you break that down from from the Greek, I think it helps clarify that. And I think it's fascinating that in Maximilian Kolbe, um, in his Marian devotion, really hones in on this that this is her title, right? And we see in in um, is it Lords where she says, I am the Immaculate Conception. Like I think she it is Lords. She uses that title herself in that apparition. So, um, yeah, it's it's pretty significant. And it's it's there. We've got the evidence for it. It's not, you can't, I, I, I don't like to use the word proof. I think it's evidence of the Immaculate right. Conception. Um, but I think it's there in Scripture. And I don't know of a good explanation for it. Without the Immaculate Conception, and this this is a teaching of the Catholic Church. Let's remember too. This is this is a dogma that we mm-hmm. are required to believe as mm-hmm. Catholics. So um, if if there if there's a, like a you know, we have our hopefully uh, yeah. faithful Catholics that are listening, you know, this is a, a dogma that is required to yeah. be believed. So it is truth. Um, yeah, yeah, and there were, there have been debates about it too. And one right. thing I do want to touch on with the Immaculate Conception too is that um, the early Church was not unanimous on this one now this is one that was actually defined relatively late i think it was the 1850s somewhere in there in the last okay in yeah. the last couple hundred years and uh however the debate in the early church and in the medieval times was not surrounding whether or not mary was sinless it was about when and how it happened ah that she was so so and, and some of it had to do with not knowing when life began um, whether that was at conception or later, like when you called it a human life, when the ensoulment happened, there's all sorts of debates surrounding this. So Aquinas famously actually was not technically a believer in what we now call the Immaculate Conception, um, but he believed that Mary was sinless from birth, basically. from At some point in the womb, she was given a special grace and, and was sinless. Um, same with the early church. You know, pretty a lot of church fathers were saying she was sinless. There just wasn't... Um, they didn't call it the Immaculate Conception. Greek Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, actually don't believe in the Immaculate Conception, but it's similar to they. It, they actually have differences in what they believe about original sin, and so they don't. It's the term. 
Gotcha. But the fact that Mary was sinless actually is very, very well defended in the Christian tradition. And that's what I think people miss a lot of times. Yeah. And that is, that's important. Why? Like, why, why is that important that's that a, we... That's a great question. Uh, that we believe, yeah. Why is the Immaculate Conception matter? Why yeah. do we care? Yeah. I think, my thing on this, Nick, I don't think it's technically necessary. Some people try to argue that, oh, it, well, you know, it was necessary. Mary had to be sinless in order to bring Jesus into the world. I don't think that's true to you. Um, I, I would think it would make sense visually. Like, it would make sense, but is it nest? Could God could come into the world anyway? God right? can do it every once. Yeah. God can do it every once, of yeah. course. And yeah, yeah, when when Jesus enters, like when Jesus enters a space, it's not as though he's stained. He cleanses, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, I like, I guess it could be, you know, theoretically possible that you know, of course it is that Jesus can yeah. enter of a sinful, a sinful woman. Yeah. Um, is it more about preparing, you know, preparing the vessel that that will carry Jesus because it's what he's due as as mm. king? Um, that seems attractive to me. You yeah, know, that idea. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think, I think one thing I always go to with this why for the immaculate conception is I think to show us an example of what God wants us to be. Right? Mm. Is we all. God willing and us willing will be perfectly purified in in heaven, right? The life of heaven is sanctified, right? You're with you're purified of of sins, right? And we'll finally be free of concupiscence and all those things, um, all those weaknesses, right? And so, what I think Mary provides for us is a model and an example of what that looks like, what the goal is, what yeah. that final goal is. And so, I think that's part of it. I think that, I think something I also recognize is that Mary was, she does call God my savior. So she was saved. She was not like she didn't need saving. Um, the, the traditional way of looking at it, she was saved by a prevenient grace. So basically the grace of baptism and more because she didn't have concupiscence. Yeah, she wouldn't have had concupis- concupiscence. Was given to her at the moment of her conception. Right. Um, so she was saved. It just happened in advance, essentially. Right. But yeah, I think it's it's she she's an example. That's my biggest thing for why. Yeah, that's a powerful reason. But I think that's something I I, I think about with the Marian doctrine. It's like some of these don't seem like it had to be the case. So therefore, if God is telling us that it is the case, I think it's really important to ask the question of why. That's why I said that was such a good question to ask, and something yeah. I think we all should should pray with and ponder. Yeah. So I'm gonna lead you into the next one. Okay. So. The Immaculate Conception, uh, Mary was saved from original sin. Mm-hmm. So what would that mean about her death? Would she die? Like, what's, what's going on there? Yeah, well, so, okay, so as it, get in, it gets into the assumption. Yeah. And um, there's been historically some debate on the assumption about whether or not Mary died. Um, I, I think the church, it seems to be that the church teaches that she did die. Um, but... Because, I mean, I think theoretically, she, if she was didn't have original sin, she wouldn't have had to die. So that one of the traditions that she chose to, yeah. um, she chose to be united with with all of humanity in that way. Oh, beautiful! But that it was, you know, in the Eastern Church, they talk about the dormition, um, so kind of this falling asleep. I think that her death would have looked differently, um, and certainly she didn't have to. And this is the the key thing with the assumption is her body didn't undergo the decay. Um, that that we do right you know we become dust right well she um though her earthly life had to come to an end and 
she entered into heaven, she was assumed body and soul into heaven without undergoing that decay that is a result of original sin. Right. Yeah. So Mary, let me ask this too. Yeah. So again, de- by the way, just to make sure we're all on the same page, death is the essentially the the consequence of original sin um, mm-hmm. and the part yep. of the human being. So Mary might might have might or might not have been, I guess, uh, partaken in this in this right. death. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mary, body and soul is who she will be in the new heaven and the new earth. Yeah. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah. So because yeah. that that is that is kind of the one of the uh, like bullets of the assumption of of the Blessed Virgin Mary is that she is body and soul who she will be in the new heaven and the earth. We're right. not yet in our uh, you know transfigured bodies, but yeah. uh, but she is. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, okay. I believe yeah. so. And uh, I think in an answer to like the why, it's the same thing. It's like this shows us that God, God's end goal for all of us is the same, right? Body and soul hmm. united in heaven and perfectly purified, you know? Beautiful. Um, where in the Bible, I think, well, I always say it's a corollary of the Immaculate Conception. So if the Immaculate Conception is true, then the assumption kind of follows, which is why after the Immaculate Conception was declared, like a hundred years later, the Assumption was declared dogma. Um, but Revelation chapter 12, this is kind of loose evidence, but um, it's the the woman crowned with 12. This is the body of the woman. It's clearly Mary um, in heaven. Um, that's, that's, I think, one piece of evidence yep. there. All right. Anything else on Assumption? I'm good. Yeah. And there's so much. I mean, I wrote a whole like 15 page paper on a Mac at conception. There's so much more to go into on this, but we got to move along. Got to move along. All right. Perpetual virginity. What does that mean? Gotcha. Uh, she was perpetually virgin. All right. So Mary <laughs> was always a virgin, Ma- yeah. remained a virgin. Um, everybody believes Mary, all Christians yeah. believe Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. Right. Right. Um, Catholics and, and Orthodox believe that she remained a virgin. I got to quit giving these Merriam-Webster-like definitions and give an actual definition. No, it's fine. Out. Yeah. I like your Merriam-Webster. Right, Which, by the way, Yonko clarified this once again. Miriam and Webster are both men. Are they really? Well, yeah. that's not going to work. So we're going to keep referring to her as Mrs. Merriam-Webster. Okay, okay? great. You take, you take that, Yonko. <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, perpetual virginity. Um, what do you know about this this doctrine? So this is an interesting one, and this kind of, in in my mind, ties in a little bit to the reason why religious uh, are required to remain celibate in, mm-hmm. in most instances. You know, mm-hmm. uh, um, so Mary uh, is uh, the the dogma here is that she remained a virgin throughout the course of her life, even after she conceived. You know, she conceived and gave birth to Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and the reason being, you know, uh, I remember <laughs> I remember in college, I'll never forget this. Uh, I had a theology professor at Spring Hill, English guy, Dr. Baggett was his name. Maybe he's listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he said to us in class, you guys, in his English accent, um, sex is good. You heard it from me first. Or whatever. He would joke yeah. or whatever. Like, you guys, listen to me. Sex is good. Uh, and like, I just remember just laughing about that yeah. and going, oh, really? Okay. Um, but the idea behind, I think, the perpetual virginity is not that like, Mary has to be, you know, kept from this impure right. thing mm-hmm. of sex. You yeah. Know? Which uh, I think some people have seen it like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, honestly, I didn't think sex was bad, like, you know, growing up. Mm. Um, 
at least in the forefront of my mind, I didn't think sex mm-hmm. was bad. But deep down, I thought it was bad mm-hmm. just because of, you know, the way the culture says it or whatever. So maybe if you don't, wouldn't say sex is bad, maybe you do think it is bad kind of deep down. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the point, point being, Mary simply forgoes that sign of Trinitarian mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. okay, to, to have a deeper union with the Lord on yeah. earth, um, yeah. which is the reason why religious... Uh, nowadays, priests, nuns, etc., forego the sexual act in order to have a deeper, to move past it, in order to have a deeper union with the Lord. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's good. I think that's a really good perspective because, yeah, it's it is such a you know perpetual virginity celibacy, right? That is such a tradition in Christianity that, um, and it is, yeah, it forgoes the sign, right? It is a higher vocation in a sense, and so it makes absolute sense that Mary would would be celibate right yeah. um evidence sorry do you, have, do you have something on that yeah do you ever wonder this might be a little bit of an interesting question but do you ever wonder what the conception of jesus would have been like for mary like what that would have looked like to be the spouse of the holy spirit mm-hmm. um just think about how this is probably a tob yeah. thing to say but think about how deeply intimate that must have been yeah between Mary and the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, well, you know, Scripture in the infancy narratives, it tells us about how Mary pondered these things in our heart. I, I definitely have this image of Mary mm. just in this very deep contemplative state Yeah, after she conceived Jesus of just pondering the mystery in her very womb. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know that I, I, I'm sure you probably heard of St. Teresa of Avila's like very intense... Um, like spiritual experience with the angel yeah, that pierces her heart with the arrow. Yeah. yeah, beautiful statue. Oh my gosh, that statue is incredible. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's almost hard to look at how intense and yeah. like and intimate it is. Yeah. Um, but that is a little snippet of what I, you know, think yeah. Mary's experience with the Holy Spirit must have been, and yeah. like just like this this deep ecstasy yeah. union with the Holy Spirit. You weren't like you were talking about like forgoing sex for something yeah. far better than that. Um, like, I think we get the sense that like Mary didn't have intimacy at all because you didn't get have to have, get to have sex. But like, yeah. like Mary is the most intimate human being right. with the Holy spirit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's so true. Huh. So a quick to build off that it's a little bit tangential, but it, it jumps right off what you're saying. Um, you know, when I visited the Teresa and ecstasy mm-hmm. statue, so, so building off the same theme of intimacy, spiritual intimacy with the Lord. I, I remember I was sophomore in college in Italy studying with some classmates and yeah, still kind of, I think, becoming more Catholic in a lot of my practices. And I was in a Protestant environment, so really wrestling with and sorting through a lot of a lot of different beliefs. And um, we, I went with some friends to this church and saw the, the, the statue of Teresa in, in ecstasy. And I hadn't really studied theology of the body that much at this point. And I just kind of looked at it, I was like, I was confused. I was like, why is this, why why is this like on display in a church? Like, why is this mm-hmm. such a big deal? And why is this like, what is going on here? And I basically asked that question to my friend Stone, who's now Eastern Orthodox. Um, but he was, he was very conservative, kind of Presbyterian Protestant upbringing. And he said, well, it makes sense. You know, if you think about like, sex is the deepest expression of human intimacy like um then it makes sense that like intimacy with the lord would be higher than that but resemble 
that in some way, right? And, that, and I'm par- totally paraphrasing him, but it just like it just made sense to him, even as a very you know traditional Protestant. Um, and I remember that really striking me. It made me think a lot more about it. Yeah. I think we're kind of afraid of that. I know I'm a little afraid mm-hmm. to enter into what that means. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, okay. So how should my relationship with the Lord look? You know, uh, um, interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So real quick, before we move on from perpetual Virginia, you have to give the evidence. Because I think this is a slam dunk. I don't know. I'm sure somebody could argue with me on this. But have you ever thought about this? It's so weird with the, what Mary says to the angel. She doesn't say, so when the angel says you'll conceive and bear a son, you will conceive future tense, right? Mary says, how can this be for I have no relations with the man? This is a strange response from Mary, considering all the angel says is you will conceive and she's betrothed to Joseph, right? So under normal circumstances, if Mary's planning on having a normal marriage and consummate her marriage with Joseph, why would she be confused? That's a very, very, I've never thought about that. Yeah. That is a slam dunk. Yeah. So many theologians have wrote about this, including Fulton Sheen's one of them. But like the tradition is that Mary never intended, it wasn't just at this point she decided, okay, I'm going to be a virgin. She never intended to consummate her marriage with Joseph. She had taken some kind of a vow of virginity. That is a slam dunk. My yeah. gosh, that's Golden State Warrior style yeah. right there. And then you can, and then the other thing with all the brothers of Jesus mentioned in Scripture, they're not brothers. I could go into the details; it's beyond the scope of the podcast. But I think there's good evidence that there's no siblings of Jesus in Scripture. Wow. Okay. Cool. Period. All right, Theotokos, or Mother of God. This one's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. So here, here's kind of I think why this has been such a controversy in the church in like a very summarized Merriam-Webster form. But mm-hmm. you know, you, you've got the transitive property mentioned here. It's very basic logic. Uh, Mary is the mother of Jesus. Jesus is God. Therefore, Mary is God. Mm-hmm. Er, Mary is God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Mary is the mother of God. Oh my! No, Mary is the mother of God because of that. But I think there's this like. Oh, yeah, easy. Got it. Mary, Jesus, God, Mary's mother of God. But then there's like this, you know, hesitancy after it's said of like, mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. <laughs> that can't be yeah. true. Mary can't be the yeah. mother of God. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just a, a huge controversy based on right. the phrase itself, the mother of God. What on earth does that even mean? Yeah. Well, there was a huge controversy, the yeah. historian controversy, uh-huh. where you know, basically what it came down to is, is it that same thing, right? It's like, okay, yeah, well, does that mean that like, does that follow essentially, right? Does that transitive property work in that way? And it came down to, okay, is Jesus humanity and divinity united, right? And, and the answer was yes. In the consubstantial union, Nestorius said it wasn't. The church, the councils said that it did. Um, I'm blanking on the council Ephesus, Ephesus or Chalcedon or one of, one of those. those, one of those, probably Ephesus. I don't know. Um, fact check me. I dare you. Um, <laughs> Second Vatican council, something like that. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So because they're perfectly united, humanity and divinity, then what we say about Jesus, I think this is, this is important. Um, what we say about Jesus in his humanity also applies to his divinity. So we don't say that, oh, Jesus Jesus in his divinity worked that miracle. He just left his humanity behind to do that. Right. Or we don't say, oh, Jesus in his humanity suffered right. on the cross. Can't separate them. Like, no, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And 
and there's this mystery of the union of his humanity and divinity. And so, so, and, and it follows from Mary, right? If we were to not say Mary were the mother of God, well, we'd, we'd be putting that mystery at stake, right? Of that hypostatic union. So, um, yeah. And then, I don't know. I always like in, in, uh, scripture where it says, um, Elizabeth says to Mary, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not breaking down the Greek there. I imagine it would be Kyrios, Lord, but it's the same, it's essentially the same phrasing as used in second Samuel where, uh, who is it? I don't know who it is. It says, but it says, how is it that the ark of my Lord should come to me? Mm-hmm. Referring to the ark of the covenant. So it seems to be Mary or Elizabeth is not afraid to kind of use it, at least not, you know, obviously she's not speaking the same language, but it seems to be the same, more or less the same title. Yeah. She's not afraid to use it. I love the clear honor that Elizabeth seems to give to Mary there too. It's very, mm-hmm. very powerful. Yeah, yeah it's, it's beautiful. A little image of Mary and devotion, if you will. Uh, yeah, and that's one of the mysteries of the rosary that we reflect upon. Right. You know, the visitation is Mary and Elizabeth. Right. Um, just bonding over that moment. And that's our home parish, St. Mary of the Visitation. St. Mary of the Visitation. Beautiful. I also, I love this Greek word, by the way, too, theotokos. I think it's a beautiful, mm-hmm. I think it's a really just powerful yeah. word for some reason. Rolls off the tongue yeah. really well. So... Uh, mother of God is what that means, by the way. Yeah, tr- technically, literally, God bearer. God bearer. Oh, that's be like even bearer. better. Yeah, yeah. I like the that. one who bore God in her womb. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's even better. Well, All right, you want to go for the the controversial let's one? Let's go here? for it. So the question is: Is Mary the mediatrix of all grace? What does the mediatrix mean? Well, that's a big word. So I'm mediatrix sure basically it means like mediator, essentially. Like a, I think the tricks is the feminine form. And this, this sounds, I mean, probably to a lot of people is like, sounds, whoa, 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 that's probably too far, right? And as far as I understand it, it seems that the church has held back from dogmatically defining this, that Mary is the mediatrix of all grace. It seemed like they had the opportunity to in the Second Vatican Council, and they kind of kept the title. They, they used mediatrix as one of her titles, but refrained from kind of giving a clear statement on this. Um, I think probably wisely, um, but I think it's an interesting one, interesting one to talk about. What do you think about this? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one to f- flesh out. Uh, shall I give you my Protestant, uh, uh, my Protestant con- controversial? Yes, uh, scripture Protestant. I don't, I don't know. Know. Anyway, okay, yeah. Read scripture. So here's a quote from First uh, Timothy. You literally this put your, your Falcons hat. hat. Okay, you yeah, I put I put on your your JP two Falcons hat as my controversy hat for some reason, <laughs> even though you, that's a Catholic school. But anyway, yeah. all right. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Here it is. For there is one God. Easy enough. I agree. Uh, it continues on. There is also one mediator between God and the human race, Christ Jesus. I'll end it there. But, yeah. Uh, that's what 1 Timothy chapter yeah. 2, verse 5 says. What say you, Catholic the- theology teacher? What say I, Catholic? Well, I'd say that's true. It's in the Bible. It's true. It is, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think that to be fair, this, I think, is a strong challenge to the the mediatrix of all grace title for mary now i do my typical answer to this though is if we say that you know mary is in some way a mediator because if she is an intercessor then in some way she's a mediator well i think we have to look bigger picture right christ is the one mediator he is the one who's accomplished our salvation no doubt whatsoever about that right he's the only one who could do it the only one who's both god and man he is the one mediator in accomplishing our salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that grace cannot be mediated through other means. 
Grace is mediated all the time, every single day in every one of our lives through other people, through other things, through events. So God uses mediators, kind of you could say lowercase m mediators all the time, mm-hmm. right? He gives grace to you through me, I hope. Yep. He gives grace to you through me. <laughs> he gives grace to you through who? <laughs> he gives grace to me through you. That's what I meant to say the second time. Okay. But no, he just gives grace to you through me. I don't get any grace through you. But yeah, right? Like that happens all the time. So to say that Mary is a mediator of some kind, I think is in no way problematic. Right. Um, now the title, Mediatrix of All Grace. I do think she has a special role in mediating grace, um, more so than you or I, because, well... Jesus, our salvation, came through her, right? Um, I think people, I think there's good reason for being a little hesitant about saying media tricks of all grace because we see grace come in all sorts of different ways, even when it's people don't know. Um, it doesn't seem to be through Mary, right? I kind of I like it. I don't have a lot of qualms with the title media tricks of all grace simply because if Christ is the source of all grace, Christ entered the world through Mary, then in a sense, I think grace comes through Mary, whether it's clearly through her or not, whether we can see that in every moment, I think that it seems to fit um, salvation history in some ways. That's beautiful. I love that image of Jesus coming to, you know, coming to, you know, achieve our salvation by way of Mary through as a, I don't think of Mary as a sort of, I've never used the word vessel before, but thinking of her as like a literal ship, you know, that yeah. kind of brings mm-hmm. Jesus to us. A vessel. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I think is powerful. And it seems like, you know, we would, you know, uh, it would make sense to receive the graces that Jesus has. Uh, Jesus is giving those graces, by the way, not Mary. But mm-hmm. Mary is the mediator of those graces. It would seem like that, that would make sense. Yeah. I also think, too, we could have an entire podcast on like the, the corollaries that come from the mystical body of Christ. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and how, mm-hmm. like, yes, Jesus is absolutely the one mediator, but we are members of the body of Christ. We are mm-hmm. Christ. Uh, yeah. You know, we've been divinized in a sense. You know, we're being divinized. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're literally the, the hands and feet and whatever of Christ. And Mary is as well, but in the highest sense. You know, so... Um, it's not as if Mary's using, you know, uh, some other way of grace that Jesus has not given to her. You know, she right. is a member of the body of Christ right. and the highest member of the body of Christ outside of Jesus, who's the head of the body, of course. Um, so it would seem as though she's utilizing the uh, uh, the mediatorship of Jesus mm-hmm. um, in sort of similar to the way that we do as yeah. members of the body of Christ, but in the highest sense. Yeah, it's, it's like it's not like a it's not a mediation that's separate from Christ. It's a mediation that is through and perfectly united right. to Christ. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good way of putting it. And I, I think I think it's fine if you're uncomfortable with the of all grace, um, and you know you want to say yeah she's mediatrix in some way, right? But um, I I don't I don't have a huge issue with it at this point. That's just me. Yeah. I, I, I believe it to be true yeah. now, now that we're talking about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we got to talk about false devotions. Let's do it. So, okay. 
we laid the groundwork. We have some of the reasons behind some of these beliefs and some of the reasons behind them. Um, but there are false devotions. Louis de Montfort talks about, what is it? How many have I listed there? Like seven or eight false devotions to Mary? Seven. Um, seven. Good counting. Thank, Thank you, you, Nick, the math major here. Ah, indeed. Um, I guess first I can go into a couple of them, but what are your general thoughts about? Do you see like kind of false devotion or miss, you know, ways in which Catholics maybe mislead? I know you alluded to one earlier um, with regard to I, our Marian devotion. You know, I honestly don't know. I mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> I don't I I think statues as like a form of iconography in the church are beautiful beautiful devotions mm-hmm. and like I don't think those are false devotions at all and they but I think they I think they can be if yeah. used in, inappropriately and I, I guess maybe you know Marian statues or could mm-hmm. be could, or you know uh, artwork or whatever could be used inappropriately at times I think that's pro- that probably yeah. happens in the church yes. Uh, in terms of like naming what that would be specifically, I'm not sure. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I think I see some examples. So maybe I'll just jump into. It. So Lita Monfort, he calls them. He categorizes them. He says critical devotees, scrupulous devotees, external devotees, presumptuous devotees, inconstant devotees, hypocritical devotees, and interested devotees. Goodness me. Um, and those aren't necessarily immediately apparent what they are from them. Um, but I think one commonly that you might see, like interested devotees, you could say like, this is like people who just want things, right? I just want Mary to give me, the, I want this thing, and so I'm going to pray a rosary to get it, right? Um, we can see people treat prayer to God in the same way too. Um, sometimes superstitious maybe is one way of looking at it too, like a superstitious devotion. I, I think I've certainly seen those at yeah, times. Yeah, that's good. Um, Not good, but you know what I mean. The interesting thing when you look at these seven is none of these seven involve um, giving too much devotion to Mary. And, and this is one of Louis de Montfort. He's one of the chief kind of Marian scholars or Marian, I don't know, somebody who advocated for Marian devotion chiefly. Um, one of the biggest people of that. John, John Paul II was a very big proponent of Louis de Montfort's book, True Devotion to Mary. Right. Um, but he, yeah, nowhere in it does he say, oh, giving And one of his big things is you can't give too much devotion to Mary because Mary will only lead you to Christ. Uh Hmm. And this was, I think a big turning point in my own Marian devotion. And I found it to be experientially true as well is that praying the rosary, for example, praying the, you know, you can pray the rosary every day, right? You can turn to Mary and, and pray the rosary with Mary, um, and what you're doing is meditating on the mysteries of Christ. I think that's such a good example of how in going to Mary, what does Mary lead us to? The gospel, the mysteries of Jesus Christ as manifested in her life. And so Mary, and this is one of Louis de Montfort's big points again, is that she can only lead us to God. She is not going to lead us astray into worshiping her or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's true. And that's a good asterisk too, is that, it has to be a true devotion. Now you've spoken of the, the false devotions mm-hmm. that will not um, will not lead to Christ mm-hmm. or to Mary. <laughs> yeah, uh, true devotions will, um, which is interesting. I'd, I'd be, I guess, I'd be interested yeah. if if Louis de Montfort has things that he lists that. I mean, I guess that's what the point of the book is: is to yeah. to uh, talk about what true devotion to Mary actually looks like. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you? Have you I have not the, read have true you devotion. Marian, to Mary? Any Marian concept? I have. I've okay. done the um, yeah. uh, Father Gately devotion to Mary, the 33 yeah, day. And that's one based loosely on Louis de Montfort. So yeah. some of the same principles. Um, 
Yeah, so just to touch on one of the, you know, some of the other false devotions. Yes, critical and scrupulous, I think, are worth noting. The scrupulous is basically they're worried about giving too much devotion to Mary and it detracting from Jesus. Um, and he, he condemns that. He says, you know, this is a false devotion. Um, the other is critical devotees, I thought was really interesting. He um, talks about, like, he says this is often scholars, proud scholars who have at heart some devotion to the Holy Virgin, but who criticize nearly all practices and devotion which simple people pay simply and, and holily to their good mother because these practices do not fall in with their own humor and fancy. Hmm. So kind of being overly critical of devotions that maybe you don't mesh with as well. Right. Something he, he refers to as well. Yeah. The external devotees jumps out at me. I think I think that's definitely a, a tendency of yeah, maybe, it's maybe just a, a external yeah. practice. Yeah, I keep my books falling apart here. <laughs> Literally, the pages fell out of the book <laughs> twice. <laughs> that's how well read this book. Maybe is, you should put that down, man. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's down. It's down. Okay. So yeah, true devotion. I think read true devotion to Mary. The consecration, Father Gately's thirty-three days to morning glory. Um, is going to, I think, really give a good picture of what that true devotion is. But I think the church's practices, you know, the rosary, certainly true devotion to Mary. Um, the Hail Mary prayer is so scriptural, and it's true devotion to Mary. Um, I don't think it's something that, and again, this is experiential. I think that, because I used to be kind of a scrupulous devotee, right? Like worried about, oh, well, I don't want to detract from Jesus, right? But in my experience, in, in turning to Mary and practicing the devotions of the church to Mary. Um, they have not led me astray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I particularly love, um, I, I think Mary really appreciates when we sing for her. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I, I really love, you know, after the night prayer that, that our community does, we sing the yeah. Salve Regina or the yeah. Regina Chaley. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I think um, so beautiful. Mary really, really appreciates that from us, uh, even if it sucks, uh, which. Yeah. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it's yeah. good too. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mary, it is a good concept. I, I remember the first time I ever heard like the Salve song. I know Focus would do this after every all yeah. missionary mass, but um, was just at, it was actually with some people from the Augustine Institute. It was actually at Timothy Gray, the president of, of the Augustine Institute's house. Um, just as the sun was setting, we just sang the salve. Oh, really? Wow. Watching the sunset is a beautiful thing. And one of the things I found is like these Marian hymns tend to be such a bonding experience for Catholics because um, our Protestant brothers and sisters don't share in Marian devotion. And Mary also is uniquely an, um, an image of the church, right? And so there's just something uniquely Catholic about Mary that I think does create such a bonding kind of experience for Catholics. It's, Amen. It's really powerful. Agree. Yeah. Are you asking me if I want to sing the Salve right now? All no, right. just kidding. <laughs> no, there's YouTube videos. People can oh, okay, I got you. All right, well, you want to talk about apparitions. I think we have yeah. a little bit of time for that. Yeah, I'm particularly excited about one. I, by the way, first of all, I want to ask the question and get your thoughts on this because I'm curious. Why do these Marian apparitions happen? Like, why doesn't yeah. Jesus just appear? Like, why don't... I mean, I guess other saints could appear too and do, but like, yeah. why are these the thing that a lot of Catholics are devoted to and go to uh, 
go to visit on pilgrimage and all that. I mean, I think yeah. it just speaks, first of all, to the fact that Mary is an important figure in the life yeah. of the Catholic Church and of all yeah. Christians. Yeah. But go ahead. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah. It's, it's such a mysterious thing, right? Because it's almost, in some ways, it's not what you would expect, right? If I were to, like, if you were to give me the basic teachings of the Church and in, in Christianity, would I then predict that Mary would appear in all of these places to give us messages? I don't know that I would. So it kind of goes with the like, you know, these we're given these doctrines in Revelation. And then it's somewhat mysterious as to why, but we can kind of piece together. And I, I, I think it's it's mysterious to me about these, these Marian apparitions. Um, gosh, that's a good question. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love the mystery. By the way, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt your thought, but yeah. I, I love the mystery that comes with it. It's like, wow, what's going on there? Yeah. Uh, we're going to share a couple of examples here in a second, but... Um, it just seems to, to maintain that, uh, I said already that mysteriousness of the faith, Yeah, which I love. Yeah. I don't know that I have much more than that. It just, gotcha. it's mysterious. You know, in some ways I feel like saying it's a mystery is sometimes a cop out and it's sometimes the right answer. Yeah. yeah you're right. Um, you're right. It's beautiful too. Cause I, like just the way that Mary appears a lot of times is very miraculous. Of course, it's yeah. So, so give me some examples. What's what um, are we talking about? Yeah. So, w- one you know very famous example is Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the idea of this Marian this image of Mary literally appearing on uh, Saint Juan Diego's tilma, um, mm-hmm. and we have evidence. I mean, we literally have the tilma still in Mexico City um, in the Basilica. Yeah. Um, that's a famous one. I actually came across one several years ago that I read about. Um, in Colombia that has never like has is just not really heard yeah. of I don't think and I'm I'm kind of uh, excited to tell, tell the story it. but anyway tell it's called it. Our Lady of Las Lajas which means Our Lady of the of the Rocks the Rocks um, in Colombia in South America um, it occurred in the 1750s but this is a, like a really powerful and I don't want to say stereotypical example of of a Marian apparition but we'll say that for lack of a better word so anyway during this storm in Colombia in the seven, 1754 I think it was. Um, this mother and her little daughter were kind of stuck in a storm and, you know, getting going home and it started getting really bad. So they actually like hid in the side of a cliff in like this little rock area, this like a little cave area, um, you know, during the storm, whatever the storm ended. Uh, um, but the girl was like, Hey, like, who was that woman that I just heard or saw? Maybe she heard her or saw her or whatever. Um, and the mom was like, that's weird. Anyway, so the, the girl, the, the daughter, um, later on when, uh, you know, mom was supposed to be watching her, um, she got lost and the mom went to check in the rock face and there she was. And she was playing with a child and her, and the child's mother in the, you know, the, the cave of the yeah. cliff. Um, it was the child Jesus and oh. Mary supposedly, oh. uh, wow. they appeared. Yeah. So to the mom and to the daughter. So anyway, a few months later, little girl gets ill and dies. Oh. Um, the mom, obviously distraught, uh, takes the, you know, the, the dead girl to the cave, you know, to kind of, you know, hopefully provide some, you know, supplication to Mary and Jesus. Uh, she's brought back to life. Um, the girl. Mm-hmm. They go back to the town. The Whoa. the village is like, what the heck is going on? They all go to, to the cliff or whatever to check mm-hmm. out what's going on there. And there was an image that just appeared that they hadn't seen before in the rock of Mary and Jesus. I think Mary is handing a rosary to St. Dominic in the painting, and Jesus is handing like a, something to St. Francis. Wow. Um, 
And the rock is not painted. It's literally the color of the rock, the image. The coloration of the rock, even though it's not color, um, goes into the rock like several feet deep after um, mm-hmm. you know, examining the rock through scientists and whatnot. Um, it's an image that is the rock. It's kind of yeah. like the tilma. So yeah. now there's a, a huge minor basilica there in Colombia. It looks mm-hmm. like it's incredible. It looks like this incredible Gothic cathedral huh. in Colombia uh, that you can go and see the rock. And you know, uh, uh, anyway, that's it's just, cool. It's an incredible story uh, from is Colombia this, that I've never heard of. Is this approved um, by the Vatican? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's wow. Our Lady of Las Lajas, yeah. Oh, uh, I'll have to look into it. That's dope. Um, yeah, so anyway, that's just yeah. a, ter- I don't want to say stereotypical because that makes yeah. it seem like it's not yeah. amazing, but um, just things like that that bring mystery to our faith and uh, yeah. just how Mary appears in these miraculous ways that yeah. kind of inspire the faithful. Yeah, That is incredible. I'm going to have yeah. to look more into that. I love the, yeah, just the mother and child yeah. both being present in that. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's wholesome. Yeah. So have you been to any... Uh, apparition sites? I have not, sadly. Okay. Have you? I've been to Lourdes. Okay. We're in, uh, in, they call it. Oh, like, I'm so sorry. I totally forgot this. I have been to Fatima. You've been to Fatima? Okay. <laughs> That's terrible. Fatima. I forgot about it. You didn't yeah. even put it on our list. Really yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I've been to yeah. Fatima. Was that cool? It was. I had a whole day in Fatima by myself in prayer. Um, I had a particularly um, like powerful experience, I think, praying before the tombs of two of the siblings. Um, I think it was the two younger siblings. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was just really, really moving and holy ground. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, Fatima is powerful. I've heard, I heard recently, I think it was somebody Matt Frad had on his show who became Catholic largely because of the Fatima apparition. Oh, wow. It just like he did research into it and it seems so authentic that it actually happened, you know? Because that's the one where they have the miracle of the sun where like 100,000 right. people witnessed the sun move in the sky and. It's, yeah, there's just some really powerful things behind that story. Hmm. But yeah, I went to Lourdes and uh, honestly, I was underwhelmed. It was great. There are a lot of great things about it. Um, I loved, I loved visiting the site of the apparition and seeing it and learning about St. Bernadette. And um, there's some really prayerful times there, but it's so touristy. Yeah. It's like Catholic Disney World. There's hotels and people go to there and they like party and, um, it's it's strange. There's also, I think, you encounter some like superstitious kind of devotion too, because um, a lot of people, you know, claim that they're healed by the water there, um, and I'm sure they are. But there's a lot who aren't too. Right. Um, I will say the one miraculous thing, and I don't know if there's a scientific explanation of this or not. There might be, but when you you go in the baths, which I did, and um, you you go virtually down. I think you're in your underwear, but you're basically naked, like. You go and they hold this towel over you so they can't, the people who are assisting you can't see you. And then you, you are fully submerged. You go all the way under the water here. It's freezing cold. And uh, you come out, they give you a, no, they don't give you a towel. That's the thing. They hold like a towel or a curtain. They don't give you a towel. You get your clothes back. You put them on. You walk out and you're dry. It's the weirdest thing. Like I have never dried off after being fully submerged so quickly. That's really weird. Yeah. I've yeah, heard that before. It's so strange. I've heard that before. It was such a strange feeling. Yeah. Because I heard about it in advance and then when I actually did it's like, I am dry. It's so weird. I don't wow, know what it yeah. is. Yeah. But because um, the place is pretty humid. Like it's, I don't I don't know what what would make that happen. I don't know. Maybe Gosh. you're not in the water long enough. Maybe it's just the continued miraculous nature of the apparition. I don't know. Very strange. Wow. But we're, we're weird Catholics. Yeah. 
<laughs> telling me. Okay. Well, and that's the other thing. Everything I'd say about this, with like with marrying apparitions, for example, like, uh-huh. you know, we talked about the dogmas before that like these are teachings of the faith that are expected to be believed by the faithful. You can believe that Our Lady of Guadalupe didn't wasn't authentic. You can believe that and be a practicing faithful Catholic. Um, the church, when it approves apparitions, it just says there's nothing in this contrary to the church. And I think it also kind of says there's nothing in this that's clearly like a hoax. Right. right? Uh, but it doesn't say we certify that this absolutely happened in the exact way that it was reported. Right. Um, cause there's a mysterious nature to some of these things, um, that we don't fully understand, but yeah, again, it's also like, you don't have to have a devotion to each and every one of these things to be a good Catholic, to even have Marian devotion. So um yeah same with like relics all these you know there's all these extra things that like yeah they're weird they're interesting they're cool yeah but yeah sometimes they're not they're not the most important things sure yeah. all right real quick hot take all right should we kneel before marion statue that is an interesting question i've been thinking about this some uh yeah should you kneel before marion statue you know so i think the reason why I ask it is because I want No, I asked it. What are you talking about? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. The reason why you asked, I'm going to tell you why you asked. The it. reason why you told me to ask this <laughs> yeah, question right, yeah. is, you know, I wonder if there are certain actions that we should make um, physically only towards mm. God yeah. and not towards others. You know, yeah. I, I just, I, I wonder. And I, in fact, I'm, I'm sure that there might be, you know, some things yeah. that... Uh, we should only only do towards who, that who we worship. Yeah, he, who, who, he whom we worship. And I wonder if kneeling is one of those things. That's a really um, good question. Yeah. You know, uh, it seems like we can pray before Marian statues uh, without kneeling, um, yeah. even though it is a common practice yeah. to do so. Um, huh. And one one reason I ask that is also is to the outside eye. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, if a Protestant sees you know me kneeling before a Marian statue, yeah. that looks like i'm worshiping her you right. know, uh, yeah. which we can break down what worship means again but like mm-hmm. it still just looks right. a little bit off you know yeah. uh, to an outside eye so just a yeah food for thought no that's a great question because like especially if you do the same thing before the eucharist or right. before a statue of jesus like how is that going to look different yeah yeah because i think you bring up a good point like those different like we our gestures are different so for example i think of like um, you know, when you genuflect, it's supposed to be on your right knee. When you propose to a woman mm-hmm. to get engaged, you actually go down, traditionally, you're supposed to go down on your left knee because your right knee is reserved for the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, which I think is just a beautiful, that is beautiful. beautiful tradition. But something like that for Marian devotion, where it's like, okay, this is different because it's Mary, not Jesus. Right. I think that would be helpful. I, and there might be some places in the world you know you have like in the east they don't kneel in the liturgy at all they stand mm-hmm. um so i could see there being places in the world where there is maybe something like that where you know this is the proper um the proper body language or gesture or whatever before a statue of mary versus you know before the eucharist i don't know but i, I think it's a good point yeah this is interesting to could think be helpful. about it's not yeah. essential because you're not kneeling right. and kneeling before a statue of mary you're not that doesn't mean you're worshiping her. Doesn't. We kneel, yeah. we kneel, you know, people kneel, Protestants will kneel by their bed when they pray, right? It doesn't mean they're worshiping their bed. Right. It's just a gesture of prayer. But I think that's, that's a really good point. 
So should we kneel before a statue of Mary? Um, I'm going to leave it to personal devotion, but I, I think that is uh, our bodily actions say something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I personally lately have have stopped go, kneeling before will, will Mary statues. I'll, I'll sit. Yeah, I'll sit okay. uh, or stand. Huh. Yeah, uh, just cool. as just as like a reminder. Uh, cool. But uh, yeah, just something I've done. I'm not go. sure whether I'm gonna think, stick to it or what. Nick, but. I think you've just started a new devotion. Uh oh. Just sitting, <laughs> sitting before Mary. Ah, the sitting Nick before Mary. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But good, good food for thought. I like that. I like your hot take there. All right. Well, this has been our podcast on Mary. I'm sorry we condensed like six hours of content into an hour. Did I teach too much? No, you did great. Good job great. not teaching. Thank you. <laughs> I guess I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, seriously, if you have questions, like if you're a Protestant listening, you have questions, like we're happy. This, I know we can't cover everything in an hour. I, I always would get frustrated when I listen to something. It's like on a topic like this, and I feel like they didn't hit like the one point I wanted them to hit. Like, right. So yeah, if you're Catholic, what's a point you wish we would have hit that we didn't get to? Um, if you're Protestant, what's something maybe you still have a question about? Um, keep the conversation going. That's what we're about here. Remember, we start the conversations, you finish them. That was cool. I liked that. Thanks. I thought of no myself. Yep. Praise be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. Amen. Amen.